morning, fellow brothers and sisters. We're gathered here this morning to pay homage to Ashtoreth, the Queen of Heaven. But we're going to have to do some fancy semantical footwork to make sure that no one sees it that way. At the very least, I'll be teaching you how to make yourself feel better about this gross practice so that you don't have to give up your Easter ham. Brothers and sisters in John Calvin, I'll be structuring this strategy with a little aid, that's A-D-E, from the following three points. Acknowledging the truth, discrediting the truth, and of course, establishing a lie. The first thing we'll address is the inconveniently uncanny resemblance between the word Easter and Ishtar, or Ashtoreth. My best advice on this one is to play stupid for as long as you can. Uh, Jeremiah did say we shouldn't even speak the name of the Queen of Heaven, so you'll need to convince yourself and your children that you really aren't gathered here for Ishtar Sunday, because Easter is technically a different sounding word. So you're therefore innocent of using the Queen of Heaven's name as the title of the Sunday you've chosen to celebrate the ultimate victory of Jesus Christ over all sin. Now, besides, what's in the name? If we don't care, why would God? Now while I recognize that it was Constantine, the Holy Roman Emperor, who founded the Roman Catholic Church, that changed the Passover to Easter because the dates were close and he preferred worshipping the sun god. Obviously, it goes without saying that we reformers have nothing at all to do with the Roman Catholic Church. We're like total opposites. So, we're certainly not following in their footsteps and dabbling in paganism. Besides, even if the origin is pagan, that doesn't mean we can't take an evil thing and make it good, does it? I mean, yea, has God said we can't use previously pagan practices, wresting them from the evil hands of the enemy to serve him and him only? Brothers and sisters, I'd like to turn your attention to the following passages that we can easily use to justify ourselves in almost every area of our lives. Where is it? Yes, we'll, we'll start with the Word of God as we find it in Deuteronomy 12, verse 30. After they've been destroyed, be careful you aren't tempted to follow their customs. Don't even ask about their gods and say, how did these people worship their gods? We want to do what they did. No, sorry. No, that looks bad. Uh, sorry, brothers and sisters, the wrong proof text. Um, that's not the point we're trying to make here. Yes. Turn your attention away from that passage and towards 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1 through 9. Uh, so then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, no better if we do. 
Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. There we are. You see, brothers and sisters, since Ashtoreth isn't real, and we know it, and we're certainly not weak like those other people, we can have a clean conscience knowing that even though we're celebrating a disgustingly pagan holiday named after Ashtoreth, since we're doing it in the name of the Lord, we're well within our rights. There. Doesn't it feel good to justify yourself with the scriptures? I must say that I've also heard some other rumors going about. Some heathens have suggested that Jesus was actually in the grave for a full three days and three nights, like he said he would be. And on top of that, they said he didn't actually rise on Easter Sunday morning. They say he rose sometime the evening before. Let's read in Matthew 12, verse 38 through 40 for a minute. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the son of the prophet, sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now it's clear that this does not fit the Easter story. And so I'm going to have to encourage you not to take Jesus so seriously. Now we know that he died a few hours before the Sabbath began. We'll call that a day. Then there was all of Saturday, two days. Saturday night, three days. There it is. He was dead for a part of three different days. Problem solved. Some people have been perplexed by this reasoning, thinking, wait, isn't that only a day and a half? I say, that's the kind of confusing mess you find yourself in when you take Jesus at his word. We have to take into account the customs and mannerisms of that day and how to understand them in such a way that we can justify the customs and mannerisms of our day and age. You see, we can't be wrong. Let man be true and God a liar. This same fellow was trying to explain to me that Jesus was actually crucified on Wednesday at the exact time the people were supposed to slaughter the Passover lamb, which was the day before the Passover feast, which was actually recognized as a special Sabbath apart from the weekly Sabbath. And that's why his body had to be put in the ground before the Sabbath. Seems like a pretty weak argument to me. And that he was actually in the grave for a full three days and three nights and rose on the Sabbath just before sundown. Wouldn't that be nice? He said there was no mention of Jesus rising on Sunday morning. And that all the images of him walking through the opening of the grave with a stone rolled away, conquering the grave at the end of the Sabbath, was just nonsense. Now as wonderful and sensible as that would be, and as much as I would love to let Jesus' words be true and let every man be a liar, this tall tale is simply not compatible with our customs. Besides, do you really think the Lord cares about such dumb technicalities? Such, such worthless details? Three days and three nights. He knows our hearts, doesn't he? He knows why we're keeping Easter. 
He says he'll give one sign. But do you really think it matters that much? I mean, he was pretty much in the grave for three days and three nights. Who are we to question his ways? If he wants to call a day and a half, three days and three nights, that's up to him. Are you going to question God? We need to know that our sins are washed away by the blood of the Easter ham of God. I mean, the precious lamb of God. I must be getting hungry. Now that I remember it, that same heretic said that pork was still unclean, even though we know for a fact that modern translators have effectively inserted, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. At the end of Mark 7, verse 19, so that we could finally eat bacon. It's really no wonder the guy had no friends. But rather than ending today's sermon condemning my fellow man, I think we should give thanks for the hearty meals many of us have prepared for this afternoon. I mean, the Lord has so richly blessed us. Yeah. Well, yeah, there it is. May the grace of God be with you all. May his face shine upon you all while you eat your pig on the Passover. Amen.